The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week of every year for over 25 years, we've been working our fingers to the bone to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today, we've got a very special pre-recorded show. Y'all can just sit back, relax. There's no need to reach for your phone or your email. I'm in a uh, mastermind meeting today, but I wanted to make sure that you got this important information because we're talking today about getting private lenders. I know, I know you don't know any. Yeah, nobody knows any at the beginning. We're going to talk about what they are and how they work and what you can do to maybe actually find some in your life or at least as much of that as we possibly can in the within the limitations of a one-hour radio show. My guest today is Chad Harris. He's from the Dayton, Ohio area, and he has bought so many properties using private lenders at this point that he's, he's sort of a little just like internal expert on how all of this works. He's joining us today by phone. Uh, Chad, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. Glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back. I think last time we talked about your other way that you buy houses, which is with seller financing. But of course, that doesn't always work. Sellers aren't always willing or able to accept payments. We always try, but it doesn't fit in with some people's life and goals. So the other side of that is private lenders. Now, For folks who maybe didn't hear your previous interview or who have not gone to the archives at realliferealestate.com and checked out the recording, just give us some background here. Tell us about your business. Where do you buy properties? What do you buy? What do you do with them? I'm in the Dayton, Ohio market, and I got started in real estate 10 years ago uh, when my job was ending. I was a missionary in Kenya. And when our fourth son was born, he had some health issues and wasn't, we weren't able to return to Kenya. So I had just a couple months to figure out exactly how to provide for my family. And I'd been studying real estate on the side, just in that moment committed to be a full-time real estate investor. And so when I started telling everybody naturally what I was going to do, right, I was excited about it and sharing my story and really casting a vision for my life that I wanted to create. 
But as I started to tell people what I was doing, I heard very common responses of, I always wanted to do that. That's great. I wish I could do that. That's great. I I watched those shows on HGTV, right? We know those responses. Some we of hear the, the most dangerous words ever spoken by a human. <laughs> I love those Split This House shows. I want to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I probably should find out what it's really like first. That's true. But I realized there was an opportunity where I could help those people get into real estate that didn't think they could, but had that desire to get into real estate, but I could help them get into real estate by being a lender. And so that's how I got my start into real estate was buying single family homes and small multifamily homes using money from private lenders. And then I like to hold properties as long as I can. I don't like to sell properties, so we're buy and hold and focus on the burst strategy primarily. But what's really unique is we use private money on the front side and in most instances use long-term private money on the back side mm -hmm. as well. Very and, little involvement from banks. And just the, the folks listening can't see me throwing the jargon flag, but maybe you should explain what BRRRR is. Thank you. The acronym BRRRR refers to buying a property, and then the R is rehabbing a property. The second R is rent the property. Third R is refinance the property. And then the fourth R is to repeat. And so it's just the acronym for that process. And the good thing about that process, the real benefit that I see is that it's sustainable. So the money that you use for the purchase of the first house, you get back in the refinance and you can use it in the next house and the next house and the next house. So it's allowed me to grow a portfolio without having money of my own. So you said that you typically will use private lenders at both sides of this. You'll use them to buy and fix the house. And then when you take those people out, it's with more private money. And I know you've, you've bought a lot of houses over this time frame, and one would think you're pretty successful. So I'm going to ask the question that a lot of folks who don't understand creative deal structuring ask, which is why don't you just go to the bank and borrow money? Very good question. <laughs> I've heard that a time or two. And really, there are a bunch of reasons. When I started, the reason I didn't just go to the bank and borrow money was because that I couldn't, right? I didn't have a W-2 income. I didn't look good on paper to a bank, but I knew how to make money in real estate. And I knew how to provide profits or how to structure the deal so I could share profits with private lenders. And so that's why I use private lenders in the beginning. Now, further along in that process, there still is so much ease in working with private lenders. With private lenders, you can structure deals more creatively. A lot of private lenders really like long-term interest-only financing. That increases my cash flow. That allows me to put more money back into our business to grow. Additionally, I can serve more private lenders. There is something inside of me that likes sharing the profits from my business with people that I know and interact with all the time instead of a bank. Mm -hmm. That's my preference. Like giving money to people instead of institutions. Yeah. All right. Okay, very good. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the terms of these private loans because I can just hear through my ESP that there's a bunch of people going, how in the world does he afford to finance things long term with private loans? They're so expensive. So we are going to tackle that question, listeners, as soon as we come back. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Scotts. My guest today is Chad Harris, a real life investor from the Dayton, Ohio area, who funds his rental property purchases through a combination of things, including owner financing, which uh, we actually have an interview. If you go to realliferealestate.com, type in Chad. It was a couple of years ago, and you can listen to that one too. But today we're talking about the other side of his creative buying business, which is buying with private lenders. Don't private lenders all want like double digit interest rates plus points and they only want to make loans for 12 months at a time <laughs> that's a very common belief when i started that was what i believed as well and so i did everything wrong when i first started out including how i talked to potential private lenders and how i structured deals because i believed that they wanted a high interest rate high rate of return, and I believe they wanted their money back quickly. And the more lenders I dealt with, the more deals I did, the more I realized that that really was a false belief on my part. The moment that it really clicked for me was, I was working with a private lender, sitting down, having the pitch about the opportunity that I have for him in my business. I was trying to get my lenders at that time from 10% down to 8%. And so I was making him two offers. One was at 10, but I was trying to incentivize 8%. And when I got done explaining the difference between the two, he said, 10% sounds risky. I like 8% better. Let's just go with 8%. And there was a huge mental shift for me in that for a lot of investors, the interest rate that we offer is an equivalent to the risk level they are taking. And so if we are offering 12%, that must be a very risky investment. However, if we offer 8%, 7%, 6%, that in their mind automatically equates to a lower risk investment. I also realize that a lot of investors do not like getting their money paid back and then looking for another deal again. What they really want is similar to just investing in a mutual fund and leaving that money sit until they have another opportunity. So most investors, lenders that I talk to, they really want a deal that they can know they're going to get a good return on. Their money is going to be secured by real estate and they don't have to find another deal. It's good long term. I would challenge listeners to not if you're driving, <laughs> but do this now or later. Look at what the real return is for a lender if they get 10 or 11%, but every three months it gets paid back to them and they're not able to reinvest it in something they like for, say, two months versus them just getting 6% or 8% all the time for years in a row. Do that math because lenders should be doing that math, right? They shouldn't be so driven by, oh, I get a 12% yield that they forget that they're only going to get it for a few months if it's a fix and flip type project. And you'll still find people who just say, no, no matter what the math is, that's what I get. If you want it for 30 years, it's still going to be 11%. It helped me understand why a lower rate was a good offer for a longer term. And that thing that you said, Chad, about private lenders get scared off when there are two digits in the interest rate. That is absolutely my experience too. You kind of put it in a different way that like they equate higher rates with higher risk. I've always felt like it's just simply that it sounds like too much and therefore it must be a scam. Bernie Madoff, what did he pay right. his investors? 12%. 
and then boom, it all turned out to be a big scam, right? So I think on some level, a lot of folks with money just feel like if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And they're literally more comfortable investing in the same deal at 876 than they are at 10, 11, 12. And sometimes even saying rates like that scare people off. And they may not make that objection directly to you. They may not say, no, especially not here in the Midwest, no, you must be a scam artist. You couldn't offer that much if this works for real. True. An astute investor knows that the higher the interest rate they're getting paid, the more risk really that borrower is taking. For the borrower to take risk, the lender is taking risk as well, right? Mm -hmm. We're essentially in the deal together. And so what I like to talk about with lenders is how we're structuring the deal to reduce risk for both of us, which is what we both want. Neither one of us want to take large risk. So what terms do you generally get from your long-term private lenders? I have, over the years, offered many different terms, always with the dual goal of I want to serve my lenders as best I can, and I want to grow my business as best I can. So looking for that ideal structure that helps us both. And most of our lenders now, what we've struck upon is where we do interest only, long term, usually four years with a balloon that can be extended if we're both happy. And that look is structured as closely as I can to a mutual fund or a stock that pays dividends. It benefits them because all of their principal stays invested. They're getting that return on all of their principal the entire time. And they're also seeing monthly payments so that loan to value isn't going up over time. It's a good way that they can keep their money invested long term and our business can grow. The other thing we need to look at if we're comparing this to like a bank loan or a DSCR loan, that's where the jargon flag on myself, a debt service coverage ratio loan that you might get from a non-bank lender is how much money you put in up front on these. If I'm putting money in, it's on the front end, but I'm always buying deals if I'm using money from a private lender, similar to where my purchase and rehab is going to be at most 70% of the value of that house once it's fixed up and rented. And so what I put in on the front end may depend on the lender, what they have to offer, the situation, but on the back end, all of that money is coming back to the lender and myself so that we can do the next deal. Effectively, no money down when you're coming out of that initial hard money loan that's happening so that you can buy and fix the properties. Yeah. All right, we need to take another quick break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Chad Harris about private borrowing, really, how to get private lenders, how to be a private borrower. And unfortunately, we can't take questions today, although you can feel free to send them to askvina at gmail.com, and we'll get them during a question and answer week. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Chad Harrison. We're talking about private lenders, hopefully trying to get some of these preconceived notions you have out of your head. Everybody in your group, everybody in your city, everybody around you wants these super high interest rates and you can't use them to buy and hold properties. Now, Chad, you mentioned earlier that you do loans that have no principal pay down. They're all interest and they have four-year balloons that are extendable, I assume, by agreement between you and your private lender. What are you going to do in four years? So effectively, like whatever you owe on day one, you still owe that exact same amount of money in year four. 
which does increase your cash flow, but what happens if your four rolls around and interest rates have gone through the roof and people aren't happy with 6% anymore because they can get 10% in their savings account at the bank? What's the plan for these four-year balloons? What I realized, I did things very differently when I started and very wrong. I made a lot of mistakes when I started. That's why I really love sharing my story because I don't want people to make those same mistakes. So when I started, I did amortized payments so that every month I would pay that lender back some principal and interest. And I thought they wanted the money back right away. So I made those amortizations very short. In my mind, that would make the lender happy. But in reality, that put a lot of pressure on me because I was making very little money off each deal. And that lender, every month that I paid them principal back, they were not getting a return on that principal. So if their initial interest rate was 8%, every month their effective interest rate was less, unless they were reinvesting that principal somewhere else. So you created big giant payments for yourself by having... Right. An amortizing short-term loan, which is actually good if your goal is, I want to have a bunch of paid-off properties in 10 years, but it's not so good if you're trying to live off the rent. It makes it very difficult if you're trying to live off the rent. Mm -hmm. And it not only causes risk for you, but essentially that causes risk for the lender, right? They are then making a risky loan, which I don't ever want. I want to structure the deal so we can reduce as much risk as possible for both of us. And I realized that at a certain point, once I had so many rentals, my lifestyle wasn't changing. And my goal was to grow my rental portfolio. And so with interest-only payments, I had more money to invest in other rental properties instead of sitting unused in equity with each mortgage payment. And it was beneficial to my lenders because they still got their interest every month on their full, the principal of their loan or their investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I did it. Now, what do you do when the balloon comes up? Naturally, what I'm going to do is always refinance. But in general, what happens is the lender extends the balloon. So in reality, that is what happens 90% of the time. They're very happy with their investment. They want the money to stay invested or loaned out, and they want to continue to get their return. And so what happens in reality is that balloon gets extended until they have another investment or some other use of the money. When we get to a point where they do want their money back, which does happen, then I refinance with another lender. And that could be a bank. We do loans occasionally where we bundle up properties and refinance them together. But by and large, it's refinancing with another private lender because there is a huge pool of potential lenders who are looking for an opportunity like this. I just need to talk to enough people and find those people that really are served by it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I handle balloons. Briefly, can you describe the kind of person who is excited by a 6% return? Because a lot of our listeners, they don't meet that kind of person because they're hanging around in real estate investors associations where there's a lot of hard money lenders. People I work with have all kinds of false beliefs about how rare these potential lenders are and who would have enough money to lend, who would want to lend money only at 6%, who would want to lend money at 6% long-term. And when you combine all those false beliefs, it sounds like this is some very rare animal we're seeking out out there in the wild. But in reality, it's just like that phenomenon that we all know where we suddenly get interested in this red car and we think it's so unique and special. But as soon as we focus on it, we see that red car everywhere. Once we really know what we're looking for, we realize that we just haven't been looking in the right places or looking for it. 
And so as an example, somebody I worked with, they felt like they didn't know the right people. They didn't have any well-connected friends with money, didn't really have the background that would support them asking, that's always the bad phrase, asking for money for their real estate deals. But I worked with them on how to share their story, talk about the opportunity that they present, and how to share it in a way that potential lenders see a role they can play in their story. And they worked at a barbershop. And in two weeks of just the normal daily interactions that she always had at her daily job, instead of when people said, hey, how are you doing today? Just saying, fine. She would share, hey, I'm really excited. I'm getting into real estate and share a little bit of how she raised enough money. She had potential lenders all around her. And that's true for all of us. We just don't realize that there are potential lenders all around us. Uh-huh. Yeah. So these are just people like they're just people you probably already know. There are people who they have some money and, you know, how much money they need to have probably depends on where you live in the country. <laughs> Dayton, you can pretty commonly buy and fix houses for a hundred, hundred and twenty five thousand or even less. And that wouldn't be true if, say, you lived in San Francisco. <laughs> there would be a bigger need for private lenders to have more money. And they are often folks who, as you said, they say, oh, man, I've always wanted to do that. But then if you ask them why they haven't. That's it's always an interesting question. Well, you want to do it, come join our RIA group, right? You can learn how to do it. Oh, I don't have the time and I don't want to deal with tenants and I'm not good with tools because they have all those preconceived notions about I have to do all that stuff. So they're, they're kind of excited about the idea of, of having their money, quote, in real estate, even though it's not ownership. But some of them are just excited by the idea that the bank is offering 4.5% on a CD if I will tie it up for five years and Chad's offering six. And that sounds really good, right? Like sometimes it's just surely a financial decision and a, I like Chad, I I would be part of his business sort of decision. You know, everybody with a little bit of money has talked to a financial planner and heard about how they should diversify their portfolio. And there should be some money in the stock market and maybe some in savings or some in bonds. But they're not told about the opportunity to be a lender in real estate. And when we include that opportunity into that image of what a good diversified portfolio is, it really fits what they want. And so it is very common to meet people who are looking for that very investment. So medium, sophisticated, middle class people is what we're talking about. A lot of people, when they go, okay, I'm gonna go get some private money, they go, all right, I need to go talk to my doctor and my dentist and my attorney and these people who, honestly, they get hit up for investments 24 seven. Like they just get cold calls from financial planners saying, hey, come with me, or hey, here's this great stock opportunity you should invest in. They they don't even talk to those people. They have gatekeepers who get them off the phone. My experience is those are kind of the last people you should talk to unless you literally know them personally, like, you know, have their dentist hands down your throat and be saying, oh, I got a great investment for you. Yeah, that's awkward for a few reasons. (laughs) But yeah, a great potential lender is somebody who has just switched jobs and they have a 401k from their old job. And a lot of times they don't really know how that money's performing. They don't know what it's invested in. And they would love to lend that money in real estate. And so they just don't know that it's an opportunity. And so that's that's one great potential lender. And that takes some education about being able to guide them through the process of turning their kind of trapped IRA into a self-directed, or sorry, 401k into a self-directed 
IRA or 401k, but yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to learn how to do because there's a lot of people like that who have switched jobs two or three times and have several of those laying behind them. So let's talk about the process here because you don't walk around with a big button that says, lend me money now, ask me how. There's a literal process of, I've met someone who's a potential private lender and now what? What I recommend is how I got my start, just sharing with everybody I knew what I was doing, share our story. And thankfully in today's day and age, that's obviously very easy with social media. And it's so easy to just share what our business is or what investing we're interested in so that people know what we do. Mm -hmm. But once you recognize there is this potential lender, a lot of times it comes up, you interact with them, like the woman I mentioned who was a barber, right? It's, it's just a real quick, normal daily interaction, your little elevator pitch where you explain just who you are, and they show some interest and would like some more information. And so from that point, you need to schedule a meeting where you can designate time and control that conversation and present that opportunity to them in a way that they understand how it benefits them. So to clarify, so, it is not that you hear somebody say that they have money and you go, oh, loan it to me. Here's correct. the terms that is I will not pay. <laughs> the way to do it. And you don't want, nor you, is it, you don't want to around going, I need, I need money. I need, I need money. I need money for this deal. Yeah. Yes. And that thing that you just said about it's not posted on Facebook, I, I do want to make sure that folks understand that there are laws around raising private money and particularly around advertising for private money. And there's federal laws and then there's state laws. And so the federal laws, it's pretty easy to research. You gotta go do your own research on the state laws because they do vary a lot. But across the board, they say you cannot make an offer of, you know, I wanna borrow this much money at this rate for this long to people that you don't have a pre-existing relationship with. You can't put it on Facebook. Hey, I need 15% money right now. You can't put that on bandit signs, which I've actually seen here in our area. Right. The bandit signs that say 12% risk-free, <laughs> secure, which at every word of that is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very common to see that mistake is made and it, it could be an expensive mistake. Oh so. yes, and not just expensive money-wise, but expensive in terms of, I've seen the state SEC here in Ohio, go after people and say, not only are you gonna pay a penalty for what you did, but also you need to pay back all of your lenders immediately. And that's tough to do when all their money is stuck in real estate and real estate's not so liquid that I could just put it on the stock market and it's, you know, it's gone tomorrow, right? Right. So yes, please, please, please research your state laws and don't make public offers. Now, this idea of pre-existing relationship, there's a lot of confusion about that. Like I've heard people say, well, you have to have known them for at least three months. And that's not actually true, at least according to the attorneys I've spoken to, because of course I'm not one. Pre-existing relationship has to do with, do you understand what their level of sophistication is? Do you understand what their financial goals are? Do you understand how much money they want to invest and whether they can afford to lose it or not? That's actually a, a really big piece of that. So part of the goal of any meeting that you have with someone once they've expressed interest has to be that stuff. And I personally, I like to take it to the next level. 
and actually have them fill out a form where they have said these things in writing and have signed at the bottom so that if anybody ever questions, did we have a pre-existing relationship, then I can say, well, we talked a couple times, I have this. So we have sort of an idea now that you are not going after people who already feel like they are hard money lenders, that they're just kind of normal folks, that you are not just saying, oh, you got money, give it to me. Uh, that there's a meeting, initial meeting that happens. When we come back from the break, I wanna talk to you about what might happen at that initial meeting, objections that you have had, <laughs> that you kind of know how to answer those now. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, having a fairly robust discussion here with Chad Harris about not just that private money exists, but that longer term, lower rate, private money that you could actually use to buy and hold properties exists and the folks who provide them. Now, obviously, this is a topic that you could spend a whole day learning about to even really get, you know, what contracts are used and is there a title search and where does the money go and what other ways can we f use to find private lenders? And luckily there is such a day. That day is June the 24th. It is online. It, Chad is giving an all day online session, online workshop on how to raise private money for Cincinnati RIA and a number of other groups. It's inexpensive. You should go check it out. CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati R-E-I-A dot com and also along those lines remember that tomorrow is Cincinnati RIA's in-person chapter meeting here in Cincinnati and that it is a bartering training everybody's going to bring something and we're going to practice exchanging stuff so that we can understand how to also exchange real estate and notes and all those things that we really want to exchange. So again, you can get your ticket for that at CincinnatiRIA.com. So Chad, you've asked for a meeting, you're sitting down, you're talking to these folks. What happens at that meeting? I feel like there's a lot of confusion about how that meeting should run by people just starting into it. And usually the biggest mistake they make is they focus on this is a sale and I'm trying to convince the lender that they should lend me money. And that's a completely wrong way to run the meeting. In reality, what we want to do is we want to get to know that potential lender, get to know that person, like you said, get to know who they are, what their investment experience is, what their investing goals are, and then figure out if our business and the opportunity we have really serves them. Because it doesn't always. I've, I've had those meetings and I've literally walked away by shaking their hand and saying, you know, this isn't a good fit. It's not going to work for you, which often means it's not. What it really means is that it's not going to work for me because I'm getting the sense that they're going to be people who are going to call me every week and ask me how the house is or you know, so they're going to be very nervous or they can't like they're trying to invest all the money they have. And they've also told me they've got triplets that are going to college in two years and they're going to need the money back then. And that's not the kind of loan I'm trying to get. So I'll give them some advice about how and where they might invest that money, but I'm not going to take it. So even not going in with the expectation that I'm going to leave with a commitment for a check, I think is a really good thing. That is a good point. And so often people think that they're going into the meeting and they're going to somehow negotiate what terms of the agreement they'll come to, 
But in reality, the most effective way to do it is that we meet with that potential lender, we get to know what their goals and their situation are, and then if it is going to work, if it is a good fit for both of us, if our business really does serve them, then we're going to present our opportunity. And so what we are offering is a loan at this interest rate with these terms. And we should already know that how that fits their investing goals. We should already know why that's really beneficial to them. And it should not be a difficult sell by that point because we already know what their goals are and we already know how it fits their goals. It's very conversational. It's very low pressure. There's no sales. It's just primarily getting to know each other and presenting that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And just by the nature of how private lending works, you usually do not walk out with a firm commitment to, yes, I will make this loan because these people have attorneys, right? They, They want to see the paperwork. They want to have their attorney review the paperwork. There's more to the process. So I think this is something that folks should be thinking about doing all the time, not when they are in desperate need of money. When you're in desperate need of money, you almost can't help, but that comes out of your pores, right? And no matter how... That is 100% true. (laughs) That is the worst time to try to raise money when you desperately need money. Yeah, and I I think a lot of people feel like it's a chicken or the egg problem. Like, I don't want to have this conversation with people unless I have something that I can tell them I'm putting their money into. But it doesn't have to be like that at all. It can just be like, but if I had anything and it was roughly like this because this is what I'm trying to buy, would that be something I should call you about? Completely. As investors, we should know what types of deals we're looking for, right? We should already know what the price point of our rental is going to be or the price point of the flip. We should already have a ballpark of how much money we're going to be looking for in a loan to do the deal. And so that really is the easiest way to do it is to confirm with the potential lender how much money they actually have to loan, make sure that that type of deal works for them and is they're interested in it. And then that gives us so much confidence to go out and make offers knowing we have the money already available. If you've had two or three people who've said, yeah, I'd probably be into that then you really have the confidence because if you call the first one, they're like, oh, I forgot to tell you, we bought a boat. Or, oh, I'm sorry, I learned it to somebody else. Or, oh, I talked to my wife about it. She said, no way. You know, Several other a people. really good tip is those people who say that they are interested, but you don't have the deal yet, is to just check in with them regularly. Treat them almost like a business partner where you're sharing with them what deals you're making offers on. You're sharing with them a timeline and activities you're doing just so they know that that deal is coming. And there's that opportunity for them to tell you, oh, we bought a boat. We don't quite have as much money to lend as we thought we did or whatever else is happening. Yeah, and that's that's a fantastic tip right there. I've had people approach me and say, I'd like to loan you some money. And then there was just no deal that fit the amount of money they had or the return they wanted or whatever for six or eight months. And then I've called them after six or eight months. And they, you know, my, my thought was, I'm looking, I mean, I got you on my list. I'm looking for a deal. And after eight months, they were like, well, I just assumed you weren't interested because I haven't heard from you since the first time we talked for two minutes at a, at a RIA meeting. And they feel like betrayed because... Even though, of course, you said, I don't have a deal on the table, 
they've been sitting there going, when am I going to get that 6% return that I was promised, right? So right. yeah, keeping in touch, I mean, just maybe put it on your calendar for every Friday to touch a couple of people that you've spoken to. You don't have to call everybody every Friday, but get with them once a month or once every five weeks. That's a really good tip. Let's talk about objections that they might raise. What are like the three most common objections that you hear and how do you answer them? Any lender is going to have objections, right? Whether they actually ask us about them or not, we know if they're going to lend money, they're going to have concerns or questions or things they want to know. And repeatedly what I see, lenders want to know what their security is in the deal. How does the structure of the deal provide them security? They want to know what my commitment level is. How do they know that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do? Usually they want to know about experience. And so am I capable of doing what I say I'm going to do? Okay. Now, as my business grows and, and the more I'm working with lenders who I've already worked with, that experience diminishes and the objections diminish. But especially initially, right out of the gate, those are the three top ones. The, the answer to the, how's my money going to be secured is obvious. You've got a mortgage against the property. You've got a note of me promising to pay. The commitment level thing, I think, is kind of a bit of a feel. Well, Chad seems like he, he's really done this a lot and this is his full-time thing. It's the third one that I'd like you to address really briefly because we're running out of time for people who don't have experience, for people who are sitting there thinking, well, I guess I'm never going to raise any private money because I can't show them a portfolio full of properties or all these deals I've done. How would you say they should answer that? Yeah, great question, because so many people starting out do believe that is the insurmountable hurdle, right? How do I demonstrate experience before I have it? How do I get the first loan to get experience? The easiest way and the most effective way is one, demonstrate activities that they've been doing already. Are they a member of their local RIA? Are they taking courses? Are they actually active in real estate, even though they haven't done their first deal? Number two is borrow somebody else's experience. Maybe they haven't done a deal yet, but the person they work with has done deals and here's a deal. Here's an example deal that their mentor has done. And so you can borrow credibility when you are working with people who have done a lot of deals, mm -hmm. which is a very good I, way to get started because you don't know what you don't know until you're into that first deal. Yes. In fact, it's a really good idea to have a partner or like a really experienced mentor or coach as you go into a first deal. And yes, it actually does build credibility to say, I haven't done a deal yet, but I have a partner, like literal partner, going to go on the property with me, or I have a mentor, or I have a coach, or I have a whole association full of people who've done this a zillion times, and I run every deal past them because I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to make a mistake with your money. And that's what I got for you right now. So Chad, unfortunately we are out of time. So I uh, appreciate you being here today. I am gonna have to direct folks again to CincinnatiRia.com, go to the calendar. Uh, June 24th, there's a, an all day online workshop so everybody can attend. I don't care where you're listening from, everybody can attend. And also we do record those workshops and send them out to folks who couldn't attend. So if you register, you will still get the information that Chad has to offer when he actually has five hours instead of 42 minutes. Uh, you've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.